Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He comes to us from Colorado. His name is Paul Prentice. Last name is spelled P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E. And he is a senior fellow for the independenceinstitute.org. So you can see where the Independence Institute does its research at its website, independenceinstitute.org. He wrote a paper back in 2021, October 21, titled Unequal Opportunities, Unequal Outcomes, The COVID-19 Recession in Colorado. And he's going to talk more about that in detail, about his paper and his findings. So, Paul Prentice, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. You betcha. Thanks. Thanks for having me, William. Uh, awesome. So, for people who might not know your background, um, your career, and your involvement with the Independence Institute, can you kind of talk about your background and what led you to this topic? In the sure. Uh, I'm a retired professional economist. With uh, I did over 40 years in in, uh, in government and business and in academia. And I, I keep uh, two different fellow uh, positions at what we call think tanks. One of them is the Independence Institute in, in Denver. It's a public policy think tank uh, designed to bring rational market-based policies to uh, Colorado uh, lawmakers. And so that so you were in were you in teaching in Colorado as well? So you're yeah. Looking at okay. yeah, I taught uh, economics, finance, business at Colorado College at the University of Colorado. And uh, um, I finished up my career as, um, oh, I hardly remember it, a couple of years ago I retired. So you've, <laughs> so you've made it to the think tank. So this is a think tank. Colorado has uh, got an interesting mix and is right in between. It's kind of a purple state in some ways. Can you talk about... The economics of Colorado and what kind of led you to get into this COVID's effect upon the economics of Colorado? Sure. Um, going into the COVID lockdown before it, uh, we were in a tremendous economic boom, as was most of the country. And uh, in mid-March, um, uh, the federal government right? and then some of the state governments instituted lockdown policies for what they called two weeks uh, William to flatten the curve. The idea was to, they thought if they could just take that peak of the COVID um, spread and hospitalizations and spread it out over more time, they knew it, they wouldn't actually reduce the numbers of cases and deaths, but they could at least spread it out so it'd be more manageable. That was the original idea. So that was two weeks to flatten the curve, instituted lockdown policies, uh, mask mandates, social distancing mandates, school closures, um, and eventually uh, vaccine mandates in some places. 
Um, and that was 106 weeks ago into the two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> it was just turned out to be a, just a uh, not true. Didn't turn out to be true at all. And can you explain how the beginnings of that lockdown affected Colorado in the short term and then the long term effects up to April 2022? Sure. Um, what we did was the Independence Institute uh, uh, initiated this study, and, and they were kind enough to give me a, um, a summer intern, a student intern from the University of Chicago. So I want to make sure I give a shout out to James Royal, who I couldn't have done the study without him. There was a ton of data to mine through, and he just did a terrific job. Uh, so we found, <laughs> in terms of the economic impact, it was much worse than we thought we would find. And then we went on and, and looked at some of the health impacts as well as the educational impacts. Um, from the economic perspective, uh, we were able to get data showing that uh, the lockdown cost Colorado, the state of Colorado, $30 billion and lost what we call uh, gross domestic product, GDP. $30 billion, William, and I would suggest that's real money even to the political ruling class. That is a serious loss of economic activity. Um, it costs, we lost uh, 450,000 jobs. We lost uh, over 10,000 small businesses, 40,000 actually, you know, 40,000 small businesses. Um, it was uh, $10 billion of lost wage and salary income. The, the economic carnage from this lockdown was almost unfathomable. It's incredible. It's like a new trombone on all the states, really. So yeah. Colorado is a part of, the, you know, this huge union where it just it blew out. And I think you go into a lot of the effects, the economic effects. But didn't they usually have the worst effects at the lower strata of the economic uh, economic rungs? Yeah, there's kind of three major findings from the study. One is that the, the economic and then again, then um, we also talk about the social and human damage uh, from this was much worse than we'd expected. Uh, number two, that that damage was concentrated among our low income and minority Coloradans. And number three, that the lockdown itself did not have a measurable impact in terms of benefiting uh uh, the healthcare system that that you could almost say it was all for nothing. It was a economic policy that had all costs and no benefits, and it takes a special kind of politician to come up with that. <laughs> right. I mean, it really does. Like the, this thing, the consequences were not just economic. You go into the economics in this paper, but they were also personal, emotional, psychological too. Right. Oh, the, absolutely. I. I I was fortunate enough to be able to interview a, a minority couple of entrepreneurs who had started a small business and had expanded it and gone through all the pain of, of, of getting it up and running, getting it started, making a living for themselves, their family, eventually opening up a second outlet and providing jobs for 35 uh, low-income minority people. Um, and in February of 2020 had just set a record <laughs> for monthly revenue and then in march they were locked down and to stay open they faced a fifteen thousand dollar a day fine and like many small businesses they eventually just lost everything uh, when they went they went bankrupt they went under it was just a tragedy and and you take that 
one case of that one couple and you multiply by what that meant for the other tens of thousands of small businesses or even the, the hundreds of thousands of people who lost their ability to independently take care of themselves and their families by losing their jobs. It, the carnage was just, was, I was shocked actually at, at what we found. That's incredible. In Colorado, so the smaller business get, get shut down, they get fined, but the bigger box stores and corporate businesses stay open, right? And well, here, here's what interesting. Uh, as we lost all those, uh, those small businesses, uh, we found that of the Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered in Colorado, there's a few of them here, uh, their stock prices went up 61%. Wow. <laughs> well, well, they just crushed your mom and pop stores. It was very selective. It was very um, winners and losers based policy. Uh, some could stay open and some couldn't. For a while, everybody was locked down. But then as they they opened back up, they did it very selectively so that the big box stores and, of course, anything to do with tech uh, could stay open. And uh, the mom and pop shops, just mostly restaurants and small businesses, just got crushed. It's really incredible. And so these policies were supposed to alleviate total deaths from this disease, right? From COVID nineteen, well, but you're saying that it did that didn't even affect uh, these policies didn't affect the death rate, right? Right, right. Uh, they were supposed to alleviate in the sense that that originally they were supposed to just uh, spread out the curve so the hospitals could manage the inflow, but that became the uh, that excuse went away after a while, and and they they just said, well, we're doing this to to um, to prevent the actual spread, not just to prevent the, the hospital um, peak from being overwhelmed. And most virologists, the competent ones, know for sure that a virus is going to virus. <laughs> you, you can't stop it. Um, and uh, so they couldn't. So here's what I what we found. We, we uh, found a study by Oxford University that uh, looked at the degree of economic lockdown. They had different, you know, uh, fairly sophisticated measuring techniques for measuring a, an index of the degree of economic lockdown in various states in the U.S. and then eventually in various countries in the world. But in terms of the states in the U.S., our own analysis showed there was absolutely no statistically significant difference in the states with extreme lockdowns, such as California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, and those with no lockdowns or only mild lockdowns, such as um, South Dakota, Florida, Texas, uh, it was quite amazing. There was there was no statistically significant difference in death rates. Right. So there's no difference in death rates between lockdown and uh, non-lockdown, but the difference in the economic effects are radically different, including Colorado, right? Oh, absolutely. You look at the states that, that remained open or, or opened back up quicker or, or had less lockdown severity. Uh, they clearly did better in terms of economic growth. I think that's a PhD thesis waiting to be studied. State-by-state uh, -state analysis of the economic impact the, following our model that we did in studying in Colorado and then apply that to all 50 states. And, and correlate that to the lockdown analysis and, and see the outcomes, you'd have a very, very significant, I'm sure you would find a very significant correlation between degree of lockdown and degree of economic damage. Right. And did you, can you talk about the data you relied upon to, to get your, obtain your findings? Sure. Uh, 
a lot of the data was was the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis, the U.S. Department of Commerce, uh, publishes state-level data with a time lag, but they do publish state-level data on state GDP, state income. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics provides employment data, and then various state agencies p- provide other kind of data. Uh, we found uh, a survey from the, uh, I think from, from the Commerce Department, uh, that, that showed where the impact was in terms of high income, low income, uh, minority, non-minority. And uh, it was, yeah, yeah. I, uh, William, I, I, I can just become speechless at this. It was just so horrible. Did you ever get the sense that this uh, policy was, uh, there was an ulterior motive other than just trying to allay the spread of COVID? Um, you know, in, in hindsight, I think the first two weeks to, of lockdown uh, to so-called flatten the curve, that was that was a fairly reasonable thing to do, uh, given the uncertainty and, and, you know, not knowing exactly what this thing was. But, William, you know as well as I do, within two to four weeks of, of that original mid-March emergency order, we were already getting data in that showed very clearly who was at risk and who wasn't. And there was absolutely no need for this at all. All you had to do was was identify and, and either quarantine or recommend um, self quarantining of the elderly population with two or three more or more comorbidities. That's everybody else <laughs> was mostly fine. I mean, people died absolutely for sure, but even less than the seasonal flu. If you if you take out that elderly um, high risk population. So, right. there, so was, there was something else at work, and, and um, I've done a lot of post-research from this project leaping into things like the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum and so forth, and there's a lot of other things going on. We could go there if you want. Your audience might be interested or might not. <laughs> I think they are, but I think that it's important to just kind of focus on what like what you studied, which was Colorado, but yeah. I think that the the if I couldn't come up with a better program to accrue wealth higher up the tier of things than these lockdowns. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. The concentration of income and wealth, the increased concentration, I could say, at the top end was was just phenomenal. And uh, also looking at it from the other side, uh, William, if any particular government or government official did not like poor people or minority people, they couldn't have come up with a better policy to wreck them. Right. And it can't, that's the, the strange thing is that it really hurt the most susceptible. Can you talk about some of the segments of the Colorado economy that got hurt the most and which ones really benefited from the COVID? Because I know that you, you brought out a couple of the industries that were particularly hit hard. Sure. Uh, uh, and let me refer to the study. There's a lot of data here to go through, and I want to make sure I don't misspeak on your show. Um the industry hardest hit was was um, travel, um, leisure, and hospitality in Colorado, and that is the industry with, on average, the lowest paying entry level jobs uh, and the highest percentage of minorities in those jobs. They're sort of the stepping stone to a better life, um, and that was the the hardest hit industry itself. Um, and we go beyond the economics there to look at things like foregone health care that uh, 40% of low-income Coloradans uh, foregave or went or, or foregone 
major healthcare service. So, and I'm not talking about fixing your broken toe. I'm talking about the heart scan, you know, or cancer screening. Uh, and the effects of that delayed care might not show up for years, if, if not decades. Um, the deaths of despair, suicides, drug overdoses were up 44% from pre-lockdown. Suicide attempts were of the sharpest for girls aged 12 to 17, a very vulnerable group. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus uh, again, concentrated among low-income and minorities, and drug overdoses were up 67% from pre-lockdown levels. Um, so, as I say, the the more we dug in, the more shocked we were with the data that we that we did find. Um, we found that 40% of low-income adults delayed a medical procedure compared it's to 20. Incredible number. Yeah. It's an incredible number. And then how did, I mean, so these problems were created by this COVID policy and then the government, either the state or federal government was supposed to alleviate those through the provision of relief funds. Correct. How did you find that that provision of relief funds effectively alleviated the shortcomings of the COVID uh, lockdown policy? Well, if it did, if if it did, we would not have lost forty thousand small businesses. So clearly, that money did not go where it, where it should have gone. Um, there's a lot of individual horror stories um, of, of people that couldn't get the money, or the way it was kind of laundered through the banking system, so the bankers got their cut and the delays and everything else. Uh, and the other thing, William, is to realize uh, as an economist that one dollar of government printed money is not the same thing as a dollar of production-based earned income. That's a completely different meaning. Um, and Can you explain you that? Can you expand down. on that? Why? Can you explain why that's different? Sure. You, you, um, income is earned from production. It, if we didn't produce anything, we'd have nothing to consume. They, they could print a trillion dollars per human being and give it to everybody and pay us not to work. Where would we get our food? We, we know from studying economic theory, um, looking at history, whenever that's been tried, it's been a complete disaster.
And that's for obvious reasons. You know, you have to produce something. You have to work to produce, to earn the income. Um, and that's a lot different from just having somebody print a dollar bill and put it in your pocket. Right, because when you're producing that product or service, it's actually provisioning uh, transference of some type of value from one person to another. Whereas if I got my money from the government, I'm not working or producing anything. I might be doing something, but not in exchange for that monetary unit, right? Correct. Correct. That's the idea that uh, we have to produce in order to earn right. <laughs> real, what we call real income in economics. Right. So it's real income, but it's a real economic effect because it also bolsters the economic GDP and output that money from the government doesn't do, right? Yeah, it, it, it shows up a little bit as, as maybe some uh, consumer spending or some other things, but the real damage there was the, the real effect was was to pay people not to work. Was we now have a large part of the workforce that doesn't want to go back to work. So uh, I talk with the small business people every day that that are having a hard time finding employees, even to this day. Yes. Even yes. Twenty twenty two. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's, I, yeah. well, it's the effects of, of the the deaths of, of despair, the foregone health care, and these are going to be accumulating. Uh, through years, if not, if not decades. And we go even further than that. We looked at some of the educational outcomes, the difference between high income and low income um, school districts, for example, in terms of math and English proficiency. There's always been a gap, but the gap widens significantly. And that will lead to even more income inequality down the road. And, and William, the, there will always be income inequality because people are different. <laughs> But when government creates the inequality, that's the shame of it. That's the problem. You know, there will always be a natural inequality of income. If if the economy consisted of, of playing basketball and it was Michael Jordan and myself and we each had equal opportunity to try out for it, there would not be an equal outcome at all, would there? Um, but when government then sticks its finger on the scale and says who will win, who will lose, and then furthermore, increases what was already an income gap between between the rich and the poor. Um, this is going to cause uh, dislocations down the road that we don't know what the consequences might ultimately be. Right. Imagine all those. I mean, you talk about 45,000 businesses that flopped. It's hard to restart a business. If the, oh if the regulations were the same as before COVID and these people lost everything, you're talking a ramp up speed to get back to the GDP that was lost. You said what? 10% of the GDP in Colorado is lost. It's a huge number. It, it is huge. It, and uh, as you say, that that sort of the, the, the human action involved in starting a business, operating one, building the supply chains, et cetera, the political ruling class, most of them have never met a payroll. So they have no idea what the economy is. They think they can turn a switch and just turn it off. And then six months later, turn the switch back on and shazam, there's the economy, but they've broken it. <laughs> right. This shows that the whole political theory. class, they should be the people of the state of Colorado and the people of the United States should be electing economists because they can analyze the data different than lifelong politicians. Would you agree with that? Well, uh, yes, I, I actually would. That's, that's a bit of a, you know, the family. I mean, kind of but your at least we, we need economic literacy among the population. So if we had better better economic teaching um, through high schools and colleges, I'd settle for that. 
Right. But I mean, I th think it goes into their concepts, concepts of liberty and self-sufficiency and self-determination. If I can make my own money to feed my own family, I'm just using me as an example. And now those 40,000 lost jobs and those 40,000 lost businesses, how many people is each one of those feeding? If it's a restaurant, they're employing five, 10 people, maybe that's feeding another four, 40 people. So all of that self-sufficiency and all the skills, um, creation, learning, a lot of things are lost when those businesses are lost. So it's really, a, from a policy perspective, it's a neutron bomb. Just like you said, it's carnage. It really is. And you, you lose that entry-level position that gets you started. I mean, I'm sure you did what I did, was working some, some really low-wage job when you were 16 or 17 or 18, just kind of starting out in something. And, and, and that was the entry-level where you learned work ethic, skills, job skills, showing up, working with people, all those things. In fact, actually, I think I started pumping gas when I was 14 in California. It was a long time ago when it was legal to do that. Um, but those entry-level positions were the ones that were destroyed. So those people couldn't get their foot on the first rung of that ladder. How could they climb the rest of it? It's just tragic. It's a tragedy. It, yeah. And that was kind of like the bootstrapping mentality of the United States, too, was getting those early jobs and getting some type of training skill, at least learning to show up nine to five. So it's sure. almost like we're back at square one. At least, it, I mean, Colorado is just a smaller part of the American tapestry. So, I mean, you can really extrapolate this data to do you feel like the data that you accumulated for the Independence Institute in Colorado it's pretty similar across the board. I guess you said it was the it was really the lockdown states you would say would be similar to what happened in Colorado. Would you agree with that? Does um, that make sense? The degree of lockdown in this Oxford University scale of measured um, degree of lockdowns and, and other mitigation policies, Colorado was just above the median in terms of um, severity. I think we were number 23 or 24 out of 50. So there were 23 or 24 states that were worse than us, um, but a whole lot of states that were better than us. Um, and you kind of came to conclusions at the last part of the this study. What are your, from an economic perspective, to get the state back on track to its pre-COVID GDP, what do you recommend? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a tall order. <laughs> um, you, you can't just make it happen. Uh, the economy is an organic process and we almost killed it. <laughs> uh, so what you have to have, in my opinion, and this has been proven out, not just my opinion, but, but from economic theory and, and observed history, um, lower taxes, lower regulations, obviously make it easier to open, start, run the business and become productive. So that's always sort of the Reagan supply side, um, Trump kind of policies always work. And they've worked when Democrats like John F. Kennedy did them. Uh, so lower taxes, lower regulation for sure. I, I think what one thing that's harming the economy right now is uh, some of the states are continuing to pay uh, fairly high unemployment benefits and people got used to living, if you will, on the dole. And so they're not re-entering the labor force. And if you would end those, they would have to work in order to eat and they would re-enter the labor force. Um, so I would end a lot of those social programs that are designed um, really to keep people not working. And then the other thing is just a federal problem with our 
financial system and William, the, the uh, inflation that's, that's crushing the economy right now, uh, very hard to get rid of that. We did get rid of it under President Reagan after it, it had gotten so bad under Jimmy Carter. Um, but it took a lot of pain. It took a lot of pain in a couple of years for uh, higher interest rates, reduced rate of increase in the money supply to work its way through. And eventually the economy thived. But boy, it was a painful process. So you weren't around, I'm sure. But Well, well like, I kind of remember it. <laughs> I would think that the the interest rates were broke 10%. Like people today, they can't imagine that, right? Weren't the interest well, rate, did they once peak to 14? Prime rate was 20%. Mortgages wow. were 14, 15. Yeah, it's, yeah it was just wrong. But it was the only way, the only way to stop the inflation and then restructure the economy. It had to be done. And sooner is always better. So I would urge national economic policy uh, to take a look at, at stopping the government spending and the necessity to print the money to cover that spending. They're tied together. Right. I mean, it is incredible. I think that the, the, during the pandemic, it gave them the opportunity to create, double the money supply in the United States. A lot of people don't understand the consequences of that. It's really mm -hmm. incredible. So inflation by is- By some measures, it's gone up four and five times. Really? Yes, by say like M1, the liquid measure of the money supply, it went from five trillion to twenty trillion in one year, and so the idea of a ten percent inflation is all that's going to come from that. I don't think so. I think we're just getting started. So they've got somebody's got to stand up and say, as President Reagan did, "If not us, who? If not now, when? We have to stop this." Right. I mean, who has the who has the presidential backbone to do that. I don't know. It's not, not this administration. It doesn't seem like. Um, so, yeah, so that's the problem. The I mean, if they're, I mean, I hear Fauci talking about we got to do more lockdowns. China's supposedly locked down right now, Shanghai. Uh, apparently it's coming back. What do you think about that? Do you think that we just have to, we just have to avoid lockdowns or is there a hybrid policy? What do you, what are your thoughts? So that's one reason why I think this study is starting to get a little more attention, even though we published it in October is the fact that just two or three weeks ago, Anthony Fauci said he was thinking of, he, he wouldn't be surprised if he had to, or at least re-recommend the CDC guidelines to go into lockdown and mask mandates again. And they've done that in other parts of the world. So it, the fact that it could happen again makes this study still very relevant. Um, so they do you have, like you said, they knew from the beginning, March, 2020, April, May, the oldest people, the most vulnerable. I think it's still the same. I think still think that, that those facts are relevant. So the policymakers, yeah, I don't agree with a lot of these policies and other countries, they have a different approach to this whole COVID thing too, but different, medical approach and different openness approach. I would be interested to see what the stats are, the, the emotional mental health stats are on a worldwide scale, because the countries that were left open probably didn't have the same problems that some of these lockdown states have. Would you agree with that? Yes, for sure. And, and going back to our analysis of the state by state severity of lockdown versus um, no difference in, in death rates. Um, the same is true for a Johns Hopkins study. It was a meta-analysis of about 40 international studies that showed no difference in death rates between Sweden that did not lock down at all and United Kingdom, which had extreme lockdowns. 
And the fact that they're doing this now, again, in other countries makes you wonder what's going on because the evidence is in. Uh, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um. That's very strange. Yes, there's something else going on. Right, that's the ulterior kind of motive thing I talked about earlier. Some other agenda is dictating or shaping COVID response, probably from the very beginning. Which I I believe that there's a lot of things uh, looking to politics. Yeah, Yeah. politics, agendas. There's other things, and that should scare Coloradans and everybody in the U.S. about this kind of alternate agenda influencing decisions that really should be made at an objective level, level right? yeah. just using economics or something like that. Can you talk, you also talked a little bit about how the education system changed and educational opportunities were, were lost or, I mean, there, there was a huge, there's going to be a two year gap for a lot of these children that didn't, may not have gotten the optimal educational opportunities during COVID, right? Oh, absolutely. We found that in, uh, I'm in Colorado Springs, and so that's what we call the Pikes Peak region. And the uh, school districts here, um, among the, the poorest uh, schools in the, in the district, the math proficiency fell by 16 percentage points. And it was already at a fairly low level. And that's a huge percentage point drop in math proficiency. But in the wealthier districts, only fell by three percentage points. Um, English proficiency in the poor district fell by 10 points and only fell by one point in the wealthier districts, the wealthier school areas. Uh, we found the exact same, not the exact same data, but the same pattern of data when we looked at the Denver school areas. Uh, just a tremendous disparity. And uh, I don't know if you've read this. Uh, I've seen a couple of studies that have shown that uh, the average IQ level of America's, I think, six, eight, 10 year olds, that's when they start measuring this. Uh, dropped by almost 20 percentage points. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> I heard that the verbal, verbal skills have, have Yes, I think of the verbal. Yeah. You know this, and maybe your audience has heard of this, that, that it used to be you were considered to be, as a two-year-old, on developmental track um, if you were fluent in 50 words at the age of two. Well, they, they now dumbed that down to say, well, you were fluent in 30 words at the age of two. You were considered to be on track. Well, you, you can't make this up. <laughs> you could not write a novel. Well, I think that that's another problem with assessing facts. And you, Independence Institute, has your fact base, database, and some of these other uh, sources of uh, data, whether interpreted or... Um, supposedly objective, they're they're skewing the facts. They're changing the goalposts. Haven't they done that through COVID? Oh yeah, that's what I mean. That's they, that one measure alone. They 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 uh, they dumbed down the uh, the uh, speaking proficiency from fifty words at two years old to thirty words. You know, you're considered proficient. It's it's just shocking. And uh, again, the, the, the wealthier part of our population, the professional class that did not suffer the unemployment that kept their jobs or at least kept their income 
um, and their students only lost on average a you know a little bit uh, from from the lockdown. Um, they'll be able to make that up, but the the, the lower income people and minority uh, people, uh, I don't know how you make up an entire year year and a half of lost lost fundamental learnings, especially when you're masking you know six year olds, seven year olds, four year olds in, in kindergarten. My gosh, it's really crazy. It's really, it was really crazy. I mean, they use that term mass formation psychosis. It's like yeah. people just got bombarded with propaganda or something and made decisions that were based on, you know, data. And it further stratified an already stratified society. So it's not, the outcome is very, you know, counterproductive. So it's it'll, so totally it'll be long term. Yeah. It'll be long term down the road before we know the the final health difference outcomes of, of people that had to delay these procedures and the uh, the long term outcome of, of lower educational um, attainment. Um, there'll be right I think you said it'll last for decades. I think you said yeah, thing. Yeah. Like we don't know. I mean yes it's it is shock. I was you know I I the Independence Institute is a what we call a free market think tank. It's one of uh, 48, I believe, such state policy network think tanks designed to bring rational economic policies to the state legislatures. Uh, so we, the bias on our end is sort of towards free markets and against against government control. And even I was shocked at, at the degree of damage we found. Paul, where's the best place for people to read this article uh, that you put together? Sure. The, the best way to do it um, might be to just do a search of my name, Paul Prentice, P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E, -E, followed by the words Independence Institute. Those four words, Paul Prentice Independence Institute, that will bring you to my homepage at the Institute, which has links to all of my articles and speeches and radio interviews. And I think under the articles, it's the second linked article right now, the one on the uh, COVID lockdown. So you can just see the titles there. And I uh, let me say one thing I, I meant to say at the beginning. Sure. <laughs> the title is a bit of a misnomer because we keep hearing this, the, the COVID lockdown, the uh, COVID recession, and we use that um, nomenclature in the title. But if you think about it, it was not at all a COVID lockdown. It was a policy choice lockdown. It was political choices that cut the lock lockdown. The, the, the COVID itself didn't cause the lockdown. Uh, COVID itself didn't cause the recession. It was the choices of politicians at different levels that caused it. And you see that nationally, uh, state by state. You see it internationally. It's just it's right. phenomenal. But it's interesting from the international perspective, it was in interesting at how terrified they all were and how their policies they made these very, in my opinion, looking back, very extreme policy decisions that, you know, that they thought that it was the apocalypse and it didn't turn out to be that way. So well, that was, uh, it was based on very bad data coming out of, a, I think, an English epidemiological study, forecasts of, of just horrible, horrible, horrible death outcomes that never came about. And so within a few weeks of these lockdowns, we could see that that wasn't the case. Uh, that there was those projections were way wrong, that the mitigation efforts w weren't working and they didn't seem to make any difference anywhere. Uh, so as you said earlier, uh, there's got to be something else, something more nefarious perhaps going on uh, behind this because 
a rational policymaker would have said, well, here's the costs uh, of this of this uh, of this lockdown in terms of economic damage, human damage. Uh, we're not getting any benefits, so why don't we just let it go? <laughs> right. right. Well, right. this book, this article in your talk is really a warning because it seems like they're trying to do it again. They it keep may doubling happen in down. The future. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doubling down. So doubling down, or there's a new Omicron, and you got to worry about that. So yep. it's you. The public is being herded, or something's going on outside of what's best objectively for the individual. Paul, is there anything you'd like to add, or anything I missed before we wrap up? Um, just that I like it that you mentioned the, the mass formation uh, psychosis or the mass formation um, hypnosis, if you will, the sort of hypnotic state where when I go out in Colorado and I still see so many people just wearing a mask for, and it does no good at all. <laughs> and I still see some kids in schools on the playgrounds, you know, six, eight years old on the swing sets with masks on. Um, it's it's. It just bothers me. Not so. Here's what. Let me say it. Well, final thought. <laughs> COVID did not frighten me. The economic policies instituted from COVID were frightening. But the most frightening thing of all, William, to me, as a freedom lover, was the American public's acquiescence to these policies. The degree to which they could be scared into giving up their liberties. That that is. That was a shocker to me. Very important point. Very important for the past, present, and future for people to understand that. that yes. Uh, the fear comes before the kind of subjugation or sublimation to these policies, I think. And you got to ask why they're fear. I, I mean, if you want to think that's present, they just put something out at the White House that said, if you don't get vaccinated, prepare for the death of you and your yeah. family. But it's intentionally <laughs> yeah. trying to scare the living daylights out of you. I already, I mean, the, the other thing that you can tell there's some problems with the COVID policy is that they didn't focus on herd immunity or general individual immunity, because I think I had something like it. I thank God I survived, but I never got a card that said I'm immune because by all scientific acknowledgement, immunity is the best defense against any yeah. any virus or anything bacteria. So, yeah, and one of Trump's advisors, uh, Dr. Scott Atlas out of Stanford, was recommending that very early on, and he was just so ridiculed and dismissed by the mainstream and deplatformed from all the social media. Because yeah. you can't get any money for that. There's no money by somebody. I mean, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so old. I remember that people would get together if their kid had smallpox. You would just go over there. That was very normal. Just go yeah. to Bob. He's got smallpox. Go get exposed. Yeah. Get it over. Yeah, because that's that was a natural vaccine in a sense. <laughs> no, I mean it's hard to believe it. it. It's kind of funny because people were so afraid. But now, back then, it was just like, all right, Bob's got he's got uh, chicken pox. Go get chicken pox. Everybody no. in my family got chicken pox, and then you know we're immune. So it is interesting that that was left out of the debate. And there's a lot of problems with Fauci and all that stuff. But we can get it. I do think that you people should check out your article. And check out your conclusions and show economic uh, impacts were very severe and, and they will be long lasting. And what's really sad is that it created, like I said, more social stratification, which didn't need to be there. So it's a shame. Yes. And uh, I will put the, the link to the Independence Institute in the or in the show notes, but it's Independence Institute org and it's Paul Prentice, last name spelled P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I think I appreciate the opportunity to speak. And, and uh, even though it's a six-month 
old study now it's starting to be relevant again <laughs> no doubt I definitely people got to take a look at this before you you acquiesce to certain additional policy interests that are not in your interest or in the American people's interest and I'll just leave yes. that Paul thank you so much for your time okay thank you William enjoyed it take care all right bye bye stay there stay there stay there with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.